You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solar A Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me on this fine day is David Leach, ITK analyst. David, um, how are we? Giles, I'm well. I trust all of our listeners are equally well uh, or enjoying life and I'd like to welcome our special guest today. Yes, I'd like to welcome our special guest as well, uh, Matthew van der Linden, the um, CEO, excuse me, A brief cough there. Matthew van der Linden, the CEO of Flowpower. Um, Matthew, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me today. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah, look, it's, um, I'm looking forward to our conversation, um, particularly about your work with the uh, business community and renewables and uh, reshaping the energy grid. A lot to talk about. But first, I'd just like to touch on the weekend's election results. Now, look, it's, um, it's only a by-election, and normally these things go past largely unnoticed, but it was significant. Uh, we do have, David, a federal government in minority government. Not that I think that's going to change much at all. We do have a candidate elected, an independent candidate, who put climate change near the top of her agenda elected. This follows the election in Wagga Wagga last month of a similar independent climate cha- uh, candidate who put climate change at the top of his agenda and, um, and, and um, sort of ending the Liberal reign in Wagga Wagga, the state city of Wagga Wagga, after 60 years. Look, David, I'm not too sure what your assessment is. Um, politics is a difficult one. I don't think it's going to change the coalition's um, energy policy one iota, but maybe it gives some sort of hope that climate change can become a more dominant theme in the next election. Yes, I agree with that. I think that climate change certainly was up the list of issues in Wentworth. It was mentioned before the election it was, and it was mentioned, mentioned after the election as being an important issue in the, in the seat of Wentworth. Uh, and however, I also agree with your opinion that it's not going to change a single thing. It's extremely clear the Liberal Party uh, has no intention. It's, an, it's a question, as, as one of the newspaper articles said, it's a, it's a piece of identity politics for the right wing of the Liberal Party. You cannot be a member of the right wing of the Liberal Party and be uh, a supporter of doing anything about climate change. It's, it's, it, those two things are absolutely incompatible. And, uh, yeah, I'm just wondering whether that can ever be resolved. I mean, one fancies that they're going to have to sort of get over this sort of um, left and right wing of the Liberal Party and probably get that over in opposition. But I guess there's always going to be such a loud enough voice in mainstream media that over time, there's going to be that rump of opposition and that rump of doing nothingness happening there. Um, Yes, there is going to be that rump. And uh, it takes an awful lot of facts and a lot of time for people to gradually change their minds on these issues. But I'm always mindful of the fact that progress doesn't happen in a straight line. Uh, Overall, the awareness of climate change and the progress that's been made in changing the electricity system in Australia uh, it does continue. We, of course, it's not fast enough. It's not fast enough hardly anywhere in the world. But progress uh, does continue to be made. Whilst we're on the subject of politics, uh, I also do want to mention um, uh, Melissa Price's comments, <laughs> uh, because for all the things that were unhelpful in the seat of Wentworth, uh, uh, Melissa Price uh, standing up and, and abusing one of our Pacific na- uh, neighbours is just... Uh, kind of rubbing people's noses in it. And if you wanted to run up a flag and an advertisement for what a, 
what you really think about an issue, that was as good a sign as any. I couldn't agree more. Um, Matthew, um, I'd like to bring you in here. Now, look, I know that corporates do not like talking about politics, um, but politics and the lack and policy and the lack of policy doesn't seem to have gotten much in the way of what um, you're doing at uh, Flowpower. And I guess one of the themes of our conversation is going to be is about that. Um, let's not just wait for the politicians. Let's get the um, the other parts of the um, the community moving, and um, and business seems to be moving in that direction. Yeah, well, I think with, with all businesses, you're always, you know, you're focused on trying to run a business, aren't you? So uh, regardless of what the politics are doing, you're, you're doing your best to try and make it work with what you've got. Um, and I know that's, that's what we're trying to do, but it is, yeah, it, it would be nice if it wasn't uh, as... Uh, as entertaining as it is at the moment and it has been for the past five years. <laughs> it makes <laughs> a great headline to lots of clicks, but um, why don't you just tell, give us a little bit of an overview about what it is that you're actually doing. So now, if I can make my own sort of summary in about 10 or 15 seconds, is basically flow power. You are specialising in the business community, in the, in, in, in the business market, but you're also specialising in the renewables market. Now, we're kind of told that those two don't go together, but you're finding a way of making it happen. Yeah, um, our, our model is one where we're trying to take the, I guess, the, the components or the, the things that make the electricity market work, the things that the, the major retailers use to, to essentially run their business. And our goal is to make those things that they use, their tools that they use to purchase their energy, make them directly available to the customers. Um, so we're trying to find ways to package up um, you know, the derivatives market, the futures market, the, the large scale renewables, the, you know, the peaking generation units and allow customers to get directly involved and, and, and essentially contract that output directly. Um, we make our margin through just a simple markup on selling those products through which the customers can see. So it's quite a very different model. Um, you know, as a retailer, we don't have a hedging book full stop. Um, what we do, we put all our energy in helping our customers manage their energy needs. And if, if therefore our customers have a hedging book, you might say. Um, so it's quite a different model in that sense, but that's what we're trying to do. So, yeah. So, so Matt, every contract is essentially a back-to-back a -back contract that exists independently, I guess, of flow power. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So as much as possible, and it, obviously we've got to break things up a little bit and make them a bit more, um, you know, you in the futures market, you buy at one megawatt, so we break that down into smaller smaller chunks and sell it on. Um, but yeah, fundamentally, 99% of our business is back-to-back. -back. Uh, and having said that you don't get involved, uh, at the same time, you've signed PPAs uh, with three wind farms and one solar farm, and each of those PPAs is 50 megawatts each, so 200 megawatts in total. And by mm. the time you added up all the... Um, uh, other stuff besides the renewables that goes with those those it would you know it'd be four or five terawatt hours of electricity sales theoretically on on, on a flat 24 7 basis uh, that's that's quite a lot isn't it it will be um i won't say we've sold all that yet um so we're still in the early, early stages of getting those we'd, we'd be 220 megawatts so our app was 70 so that you almost got the number almost perfectly right um but yeah, I think once all that is is sold to the market, um, when you take into account that renewable is not a perfect match to customers, it, it probably will lead to to that sort of um, retail load on our books. Yeah, but it's still like we've only just signed Sapphire. We only just announced it the other day, so um, it'll take us, I think, three to six months probably to sell all that output and, and hopefully be in the position you're talking about and having moved all that into the market. And, and before I hand back to Charles, the Lakeland uh, PPA, Lakeland's not actually, is it a committed project? At the, what's its status to your understanding? 
what, what we've announced to the market was um, agreement on a term sheet, essentially, um, and we're very close to making further announcements on that project to, to formalise it fully. Um, so it's not fully confirmed, but it's it's very close, quite a certain project. So you've mentioned the Sapphire Wind Farm in New South Wales. You've mentioned the Lakeland Wind Farm Wind Project in Northern Queensland. Now um, let, let's just sort of um, just for, so listeners understand. You've also um, you're also part of the consortium that, or, or you're one of the three customers for the new Kiamal Solar Farm in Victoria. And yes. I can't quite remember the third, the, the other wind farm that you've done. Is that Marawara? Uh, Ararat. Ararat, okay, fair enough. You seem to be in a perfect position to talk about what the cost of wind and solar is and what the cost of, say, firming that capacity is. Now, you probably don't want to betray any sort of confidences about the the actual details of the power purchase agreements um, that you've signed, but whereabouts are we? Because I keep on hearing people talking about $30, $40, you know, for solar and $50 for wind, but every time I actually see a contract, or particularly a solar contract, it seems to have actually been coming coming through a bit higher than that. Where, where, where do you think we are? Yeah, obviously we, we obviously can't discuss the, the outcome of the pricing, but I guess what I can say is that our customers are buying it. Um, they're taking it up very, very quickly, um, and the interest is very, very high. So obviously it's competitive, and you're not going to get uh, industrial customers and, and commercial customers you know, jumping on this bandwagon if it's a couple of percentage points. Um, so, you know, I, I could go down the path of trying to state what the, the prices are, but there are so many ways to cut those prices. You know, is it five years, is it 20 years? Um, like, I guarantee you the, the price I got from KML or the price we got from KML would be quite different to what Mars got from KML because uh, we signed for 10, they signed for, I think, 15 or 20. Um, so if they sign for a longer price, a longer term, then they're going to get a cheaper price? They will get a cheaper price, yeah. Right, definitely. okay. okay. Um, you, you also have aspects, and I've seen advertisements of, you know, you know, sub 50s um, in the marketplace. But the question is that, you know, does that include CPI? Does it not include CPI? Um, I know all the contracts we, we usually pursue are, are flat, flat price contracts over the term. Oh, that's um, interesting. Not, not CPI. So th- there's so many ways and uh, of where that price can come out and where it can come out. But I, I can say they're very, very competitive. And, you know, it's uh, enough to, to have people put the effort into to, to deal with all these other aspects that the downsides, you might call it, of the variability. And Matt, while we're, while we're talking about prices, I guess the side of it that's a bit mysterious is, is the firming side of things. Um, what, how are you finding that your, um, ex, the firming suppliers are, are looking at you? Are they keen to get involved? Uh, are they reluctant to get involved? Are they trying yeah. to uh, get higher value for their dispatchable power or do they see it as a, as a competitive market and they just want to retain market share? I mean... What's, what's the vibe? Yeah, so there's an awful lot of um, talk about firming, and I don't exactly know where it's been pushed from. I know what we spend a lot of time is educating customers how the market works and trying to understand the need for firming in, in, in the market as it is today. Um, and in most markets today across Australia, the, the, the argument to spend you know $20 or whatever they're pushing for the firming cost, it's not really there. Now, it will... It will come uh, as the market shifts and changes. Um, but what we look at, like an SA, you know, we already know that wind is, you know, significantly penetrated, and there is a lower value to compared to spot. But it's still, even when you add that in, it's still well below the spot spot outcome. So, um, firming's going to become an important part of it. Um, 
and at the moment, it really requires the customer just to take the time to understand what that means and when is it going to be needed and, you know, is it needed today? Um, and when you do the analysis, you do the work in today's market in most states, there, is, um, there isn't a lot of need for it, but there will become a stronger need for it as, as we progress further in. And it might not be far away as well. It could only be a couple of years away. So, so a customer buying wind, uh, but who wants a steady flow of electricity, has to get the rest of their, their power, has to be able to guarantee that they've got electricity and, and, and they will only pay, I guess, what the, the futures price or something for that bit and they'll get a lower price for the wind and, and, and that's how they get, a, get ahead or will they have to pay a higher price for the other bit than what's indicated in, say, a baseload futures? That, that's what I'm just trying to... Yeah. So at the moment, depending on the state you're in, if, if you were to do the, the work on it, you would find that... Um, the, the the amount you would pay for the for the remainder of the load would be roughly spot. So as the penetration of wind and solar grow, that 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 price will will start to shift up. So you might have a customer that's 100 gigawatt hours, and you might try to supply 100 gigawatt hours of wind and solar. You won't get a perfect match, so you might only supply 70 of that 100 um, as as wind and solar. Uh, and then, then you'd be importing 30 off the market and exporting 30 back to the market. Um, so the net impact that you're paying will be the difference between what you import and export for. Uh, and that's as that, over time, there'll be a disparity between what you import and export for. And as that goes up, that's when you have to bring in firming products. Um, but as of today's market, when you compare that import and export component with a mismatch, it's not that bad. Um, in most states. And how is that firming product going to be um, delivered? Is that going to be a financial transaction, a financial construct on the markets? Or do you think that's going to be something that's sort of physical um, in the short to medium term, which could be battery storage or pumped hydro or gas, yep. and gas generator or whatever? So what, what, what we do is the first thing we do with, in terms of firming and the first thing we would work on is working uh, with customers to firm themselves. So they, they would look at um, load management, um, demand response, backup generation. As, as some mechanisms to help firms. So essentially, if they can implement some form of demand response, it'll most likely be the cheapest option for them uh, and give them the biggest bang for their buck. Um, and and are, they, not, are they open to that? Uh, yeah, they are. Not everyone is. Um, I'm not, not, we've got quite a few customers who can't do demand response now and it's becoming more and more common. Um, but it's the first first point of first discussion you have is, is what can you do yourself or, or what can you modify over the coming few years to help deal with this issue when it really becomes a bigger issue. Um, beyond that, yes, financial markets are, are developing very quickly. There are a number of um, markets developing around firming. Um, and we, as those develop, we will offer them directly through to customers without a doubt. Uh, and the other thing we'll, we'll look to do, which is going to be a really interesting concepts, the business model we're trying to build around this. But um, so if Flow Power was to invest, say, in a, in a peaking generation unit, say gas fire peak generator or a large battery storage, what we would do with it, we wouldn't hold that asset to, to benefit ourselves. What we would aim to do is find a way for our customers to contract with that in the same way they've contracted for you know 10 years with a solar farm. So they might contract for 10 years with this peaking generator in, in a, as a firming type product. Um, so that would be one of our goals to achieve that over the coming years, which would be quite an exciting development as we work out how to charge for that. Obviously, it's not a, a simple as cents per kilowatt hour, but it's... Um, it's, it's something a little bit different to that. And Matt, sorry sorry to jump in, Giles. Uh, when I looked at ERM Power, which is listed and, uh, mm. you know, I guess operates in the same industrial space as you, but in, in a very different way, 
Uh, one of the issues they've always had and any retailer has is around credit support and things like that. Uh, you don't have bad debts, I guess, with business customers, but you still need a lot of credit support. Uh, how are you actually managing that? Yeah, so our, our model is very much a, a, um, a model of pass-through. So, uh, you know, generally speaking, we would ask our customers to assist us support those contracts um, in the marketplace. So if a large-scale renewable asks for credit support, we would we would uh, generally ask our customers to to assist in providing that credit support through to the through to the farm. So, yeah, and, and where we've come from, like we developed, have been running this business for well, an energy management is for, for 20 years, the, the flow power for about 10. And we started out with any significant financial backing. So um, it was actually quite a challenge to work out how to operate a retail business with that cash. Uh, and and that's, that's the way we actually did that. That's interesting. That's interesting. I think every retailer loves to operate that way. Coles tries to get its customers to pay as well. Mm. Um, uh, and can I, before I hand back to Charles, just how many employees do, 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 you, do you have now? We've grown very rapidly over the last couple of years. We, we were, we've more than doubled in the past 80 months. So we're around about 65, 70 at the moment. Um, and we just moved into our new office in Hawthorne as well, which has been really exciting because we're all crammed into a little, one tiny little office in, in, in Hawthorne as well. And it was great getting to a new one, but yeah. So we're about 65, 70. I'd like to just get, take a bit, step back a bit. Um, so just tell us then why you've got corporate customers would come to Flow Power. Is it because you can offer longer term contracts? Is it because they want renewables? Is it want, because they want cheaper power or is it a mixture of all three? Well, it's, it would be a mixture of all three. Fundamentally, it's, it's you know, price is what drives it a lot. Um, and most of our customers go down this pathway because they see a better way of, of purchasing their energy. There's no doubt the ability to take control more of what your your future energy needs are. That that's definitely a big part of it. Um, and, and and because a long term contract with a wind and solar farm can deliver that. Is that what you're saying? Well, it can, and and they they're getting a lot more involved. So they're they're actually essentially contracting with Ararat Wind Farm, and you know they they can go out and say you know that part of that farm's ours. Um, you know, there's this sense of ownership that comes with with the, with the products that we're offering to the market. That's very hard to get elsewhere. Um, you know. You know, buying energy off Energy Australia, whatever it is, isn't, isn't that exciting. But to say, you know, I've got I've got a megawatt of Kaimal solar farm. Um, you know, it's a solar farm with I think seven hundred thousand panels in it, and some of those panels are ours. That's pretty mm. cool. Mm. Customers mm. like it. So mm. our customers are a lot more involved. They're, mm. they're you know they change the way they do things going forward when they when they come with us, and um, it's generally a very positive outcome. And it's probably why we've got such good customer retention. And tell us what um, what does this mean then, sort of, for the future of the industry? Because we have these sort of very traditional retailers, and they're sort of being gentailers. They build a whole bunch of generation, and they get, then they get a retail base, and they kind of match the two of them um, and play one market over the other. Um, what are you doing to? How are you reshaping that market? What, what, what's the implications going forward? Because it seems to me like you're taking an awful lot of load and taking it away from that market and 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 um, and, and putting it somewhere else. Yeah, I think it's a really exciting time in the industry because it's not just Flow Power. We've got other retailers that are coming along. Amber Electric's a little residential retailer that's trying to do something similar. Um, but there's a lot of activity in, in, in technology and in systems and, and in retail models as well that I think are very exciting for the Australian market. Hopefully what we'll see is, is much, more to, much, much greater customer involvement, um, a much greater connection between supply and demand in the market um, where customers get involved and help fix the problems we see in the market and through doing that hopefully save a lot of money as, as our customers are doing it so I've, I don't know over the next 
years, three to five years, say, it would be great to see 20% of the market or more move to a much more cost-reflective basis where they um, they get involved, they respond to respond to the market, and, and you know these issues around reliability will be a little bit less because of that. Hopefully, significantly less. But yeah, it could be quite disruptive. But um, obviously, it will depend on take up of customers. But if it keeps going the path we're going, it's going to be very exciting. So, I mean, I might argue that it would, it's it's better for the retailer to be providing all the services and requiring every electricity business to get very involved and have its own electricity purchasing department and have to run all past separate boards and then the boards have to get educated about electricity. Mm. It's really, uh, uh, I'm, it's not clear to me that that process is the best way to run it, but it's very clear to me that it's been successful for you and your customers. If I was just to come come back to those uh, wind farm PPAs, in in the end, you don't generally have one customer taking the fifty megawatts. There must be some residual risk that your that that that, that flow power is adopting, or or how should I think about that? Yeah, I think just on your first point, I'm not going to say that this is for everybody in terms of our model. It it is complicated. It's more involved, but um, I guess what we are seeing is a much greater appetite to be involved. Um, and those customers that want to be involved, and, and there's a lot of them um, looking for a different way, they're, they're sort of jumping on board. But yeah, in terms of our back-to-back nature, um, very much it's back-to-back. That That's our goal. So, you know, our goal is to sell every kilowatt of that farm out to customers. So for, for Ararat, we had, um, I think it was around about 10 customers take the offtake there. Uh, some of those are small as 100 kilowatts, um, others tens of megawatts of output. Uh, so one of the real fundamental goals is to really package this up in a way that you can have actually quite small energy users. So we've had some smaller, you know, so Anchor is one of our smaller um, manufacturers that's taken a small offtake, and they're only four gigawatt hours of energy usage a year. Um, so you don't have to be a Mars, you don't have to be a BHP to get the offtake. And that is one of our philosophies to try and bring this right down to the um, the smaller business, not really small business right now, but you know, four gigawatt hours is not that large in the scheme of things. So that, that's that's almost like a, a residential uh, apartment block builder where you go out and do like 70% pre-sales and uh, then you can get the uh, go-ahead from everyone to sign a new PPA. Is that is that? And uh, then I guess once you've got a lot of those, you've got kind of, even though it's not a book, uh, mm. you're in a position to sort of move forward on the next one even a bit more ahead of time or something like that. Yeah, that, that our, our business growth will follow a pat, pattern similar to that, where um, you know we've committed to you know, our current goal is is minimum of say eight projects across Australia. We've got four of them, um, but we want to get wind and solar in every state um, in, in the NEM states, and be able to you know have a large corporate come to us and sign up eight PPAs in one hit. Um, they'll get diversification of output from wind and solar. So their risks are lower, uh, and it's a hell of a lot simpler. Signing eight PPAs is not easy, I, I can tell you that. Um, so yeah, it, it's... It... That just brings me to a point about diversification, because mm. uh, um, you know a client might want to have some of the wind farm diversity, so they bought less from the market if they had some of the Lakeland wind farm and some of Arafat and, and some of Sapphire and some solar. but. Can they actually buy that from your portfolio or do they have to be uh, associated with one? How... No, you can definitely buy. That's one of our our main goals. It will be to eventually have multiple solar and multiple wind in each state. Um, our first goal is wind and solar in each state. Um, but yeah, definitely most of our customers have signed uh, you know, wind and solar. Um, 
as, as they come on board, we, we try to model it based on their profile to get the best match we possibly can. So it's definitely a key part of what we're doing. And I think it's a really big, big issue in terms of if you, it, it solves a big problem or solves not, not, not fully, but it goes a long way to solving reliability issues. Not all your eggs in that one basket, they're sort of spread across multiple technologies and multiple, you know, physical locations. And, and, and you mentioned a firming. Sorry, sorry, Josh. Just one last one. You mentioned you mentioned a firming plant that you might invest in, mm-hmm. uh, but is the is the price signal for that there now? It, it, uh... Well, not actually. Honestly, it wouldn't be today. Um, but we do see over the coming years a need for it. Um, so we're we're beginning to look at. You know, we're not about to execute anything, but we would be starting to look for that process because it will take time to get that in place. It'll take time to build it and invest it. And, and find the investment for it. So um, we will look to uh, establish products that, that can help supply that market need when it, when it arises, definitely. And, and is that because the volatility of the prices that's gonna occur in the market as more renewables enter it? Because you'll get high prices at certain times, but as we've seen in Queensland in the last week, you'll also get negative prices in the daytime and that mm. may cause you to rethink the way you structure your portfolio. Um, well, obviously, that will drive the investment for peaking generation and battery storage. So one of the worst things for this market would be a, a dull signal where the average price goes up to 15, 20 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, you know, everyone talks about not volatility being the enemy. Well, it's not really. We do actually need volatility in this market to make sure we drive the right investment. You um, could be an investment banker, but could go. I was going <laughs> to say, David, David would have been very pleased to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, you've heard... You've, you often hear the discussion in the market, oh, we, you know, we're going to bring the NEG and it will reduce volatility. We actually haven't had a lot of volatility in the market. What we've had is a lot of baseline increases in prices that people have just had to swallow. Um, so point. a bit of volatility will give, give us some options, mm. which would be nice to see. And, and Giles, you... I might mention that actually, despite the lower prices in Queensland, the negative prices, the average price last week was actually higher than the week before and, and higher than a year ago, even though demand consumption was down a little bit. So, mm. so, so make of that what you will. Good point. Yeah. Matthew, give us a bit of the vision thing. Where do you want your company to be in 5, 10, 15 years time? Um, you know, how big can it be and how, how, you know, how much renew- and, and how much renewables can there be in the grid? Where are we heading to, or where should we be heading to? Where can we head to? Yeah, I, I think my view is I'm very optimistic about where we can go. I, I do think we can go to 100% renewables. Um, I think the, the the rate of change of technology and the rate of change of um, customer take up and and you know if you look at electricity, it's so dynamic, but we still treat it like with a big stick in terms of how it works. Um, the ability for for you know um, IoT and and demand response and smart housing and smart industrial controls can have a massive impact on on how we use our energy. Uh, and and I would see us in you now in ten years, five ten years, the way we treat that commodity would have shifted dramatically. Um, how do we do that though? What sort of policy mechanisms or or, or or systems do we need in place to get there? Well, I, fundamentally, if we can just make sure we we don't destroy the market through regulation and we, we keep making sure that the regulation is designed to uh, incentivize and encourage the right behaviors uh, I think that's probably the biggest threat that we, we go down a path where we um, we blunten the regulation in that it makes it harder for innovators to get up and and, and harder for customers to get involved um, I think that would be a bad outcome um, but as long as you keep those doors open and, and allow the market to continue to contribute, I, I think it will come, and I think it is coming. I think it's you know almost unstoppable. Um, 
but that's where you want the NEG, for example, to encourage the right behaviours, not discourage the right behaviours. And, you know, the reliability aspect, I guess the uh, the other aspect of that's probably pretty much there. And, and what was your appraisal of the NEG, the reliability aspect, as, as we understand it so far? Yeah. Um, the principle of what they're trying to do, I think, is, is great. I think we, we, we do have a reliability issue coming. Um, I think there's different views on how it will be solved. The, the issue with the neg that I, I and I'm not saying I, I'm I'm an expert on it, but there are aspects to it that I never really quite understood fully. Um, so when I look at the reliability aspect of the market uh, and and how they tried to to build that, they basically um, they treated they looked at retailers and retailers have a hedging book, and, and therefore they're asking for for them to hedge to a certain level now. Flow Power's a very different retailer. We don't have a hedging book. Uh, so it's it's quite yeah. a challenge to work out how it works for us. Um, right. Is this another case of lawyers and economists let loose? <laughs> it's it's an interesting one because um, you've got to get that mechanism right. So the last thing that you would want to have is is our business model, and you know where we and when I say our business model, I mean a model that encourages customers to connect to the generation and respond to it. You don't want the energy to hinder that. You want it to encourage that. And it's absolutely, in fact, you want it to, you know, if anything, uh, over-encourage that because that, that's probably going to be the cheapest way to reduce costs and, and manage the, the issues in the market. Um, did the NEG achieve that? I'm not sure. Um, and the reason I say that is because the, um, the main mechanism sitting behind the NEG was, um, you know, the, the futures contract, so a, a swap or something would be a mechanism to meet your NEG requirement. Now, sitting behind that, I, I could be, a, say, a generator with a, say, 100 megawatt generation plant. Um, so, and I could go to the market and I could choose to sell 200 megawatts of swaps into the market. Now, as far as I understand it, a retailer that bought those 200 megawatt swaps would have met their live, would have, would have had a 200 megawatt um, requirement for that. Me as a generator, I would have been exposed 100 megawatts on the market because I've sold 200, I've only got 100 actual physical generation. Um, and I wouldn't do that because I've got a financial incentive not to, because the spot price, if it goes up, I, I'll lose my, lose everything. Now, that's all fine. Now, the, the issue that I see there, and this is the bit I never really quite understood, if I'm a customer who goes to go on spot and I go to choose my control my load to, to manage spot, I get a completely different set of rules. So although I'm still exposed to the same pricing signal, I have to participate in a demand response mechanism which is far more rigid so the the issue i had with it in terms of how that works is you've got a different set of rules between some market participants and customers uh, and so it's imbalanced in that sense and i haven't quite worked out how to resolve that issue well we're running out of time so uh, and i'm sure giles is going to say thanks and i want to say thanks man i, I love hearing about new businesses and, and just uh, in terms of the growth profile as you say you've got uh, four projects announced at the moment 220 megawatts, uh, any idea what that might be in a year's time or hopes or plans? Uh, I'm, our goal is to have it over, around about eight by the end of the year. So that that's our, our, our clear goal is to have wind and solar in each state by the end of the year. So it should be around three to 400 megawatts by the end of the year. When you say the end of the year, you mean the end of 2019 or the end of this calendar year? Uh, the end of this calendar year. <laughs> have you got time to talk to us? <laughs> Well, I've got a, a very, quite a number of very busy people trying to get the, those final terms, but we, we, we should be making further announcements in, in probably the next few weeks on a couple of more projects. 
So excellent, um, excellent. Things, things are progressing well. Renew Economy is always hungry for news. Um, look, once again, look, I'd thank, like to thank you very much, um, Matthew, for, for, for joining us. Um, I guess we'll find out a bit more about um, what we have in store for the NEG uh, with the COAG Energy Minister's um, either phone hookup or meeting later on this week. So uh, maybe a bit of advance on that. And um, David, just before yeah. we say goodbye, is there anything else that um, is on, on, on the agenda? I, um, I, um, no, no, nothing, nothing too urgent. Uh, what I do notice is that futures prices in New South Wales have been going up, uh, and whereas they've been coming down in South Australia. So, uh, you know, for me, New South Wales is the state where electricity policy is, is still a bit of a shambles. Um, and I'd like to see if there is going to be reliability risk. It's, it's probably as likely to be in New South Wales as anywhere else. And so I'd certainly like to see the New South Wales. You, what, what I can say is the, the Queensland and Victorian governments have got strongly pro-renewable policies, uh, and they're the ones that have seen their forward prices coming down. Well, there's, an, there's, a state, there's a state election coming up, so um, hopefully um, that might elicit some clarity on that. Um, we shall wait and see. Um, before I say my final goodbyes, I'd just like to thank our sponsors, Solaray Energy and Watt Watchers. Um, really appreciate their help, um, both Solaray and Watt Watchers. And uh, thanks to you, David, and thanks, um, Matthew, for joining us. And um, good luck with, your, um, with the business model, and uh, we look forward to hearing more about your announcements. All right, appreciate it. Thanks for your time, everybody. Okay, and thank you everyone, and we'll be back again next week. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Solar Ray Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Wattwatchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs, accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit wattwatchers.com.au and take control of your energy use.